Shalom. Welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We welcome you and thank you again for joining us. Uh, you can contact me with ideas or comments or suggestions at Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com. Um, we also invite you to visit our Facebook page and like us there and whatever you do on Facebook or whatever that thing is called. I appreciate it. We're going to explore something very, very interesting in a relatively new phenomenon here, uh, the new Cortland Center for Transitions and Health, an exciting new project. And to help guide us through this and what that means, and uh, we welcome Mary Taylor, who is the director of the new Cortland Center for Transitions and Health at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing here in Philadelphia, our hometown. So first of all, Mary, welcome. Welcome to Seekers of Meaning. It's nice to see you. I hope you're well, safe, and enjoying uh, what's left of, well, the beginning of spring now. I am uh, looking forward to the beginning of spring, but actually it's been a relatively <laughs> mild winter, so I'm going to accept that. But it's great yes, to be yeah. here with you. Global warming strikes again, even in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Right. So um, thank you. This is uh, I'm very interested to have you share with our audience uh, this very, very interesting project. So first of all, let's let's deal with the basics. What is the new Cortland Center for Transitions and Health? Uh, well, that center is a research center. It's based in the School of Nursing, but has faculty teams from all different disciplines who share in common this tremendous commitment to uh, really offer solutions that are based in science, based in rigorous research, to improve the care and outcomes of older adults and their caregivers. The center has been in place for about 20 years, and uh, I was a young woman when it started um, and continue to uh, uh, have the great fortune to lead a collection of great scholars um, in this shared commitment and goal. Well, how, okay, so how does this center work? I mean, you're talking about a research center with various teams. Um, do you do specific projects? Are there conferences? Is there a journal? Uh, right. Just how does this work? Well, we uh, do all of the above, but let me give you an example. So the team that I lead uh, focuses on how to redesign care for older adults who are experiencing major transitions in health. They are transitioning from hospital uh, to home, and it's a really extraordinary vulnerable time for them and for their caregivers. And so we've been uh, involved in first uh, uh, generating new knowledge through NIH clinical trials. We tested out a new way of thinking about how to support these older adults and their caregivers using advanced practice nurses, masters prepared nurses who follow the people um, uh, from the time that they're admitted through their hospitalization, if they're referred to a skilled nursing facility and then into their homes providing that kind of quarterback, that uh, continuity of care that people crave in this disjointed system. So we started this work. Uh, we looked around and found that there were very few systems or communities using what was now becoming a robust body of evidence. So we embarked in this effort to really work directly with health systems and communities to actually implement this evidence-based solution. That's what's going on in the center, uh, multiple ways of thinking about how it is we can improve care 
testing those solutions and then directly, and this is unique um, uh, in our work to have impact, to really think about what can we do to assist people who are experiencing these challenges today, how it is that we can use evidence to better get to better care and outcomes. What's the biggest challenge you're finding? Well, first of all, you know, people talk about this, but we are now, we embarked on a project uh, March 2020, right at the start of the pandemic. Beginning of the year. It was, um, this was a, uh, a, is a large scale randomized trial working with multiple health systems uh, to try to redesign care. So redesigning care in the context of the pandemic was really unbelievably challenging. But what was, um, what is a common challenge is that the needs of this population of older adults and their caregivers seem to be getting more and more complex on the one hand. Uh, individuals suffering now, not just from physical health challenges or cognitive challenges, but caregivers really suffering from mental health issues. So it's the complexity of care needs. Uh, the biggest challenge we then confront is having to solve or support these individuals in a highly disconnected, disjointed care system. And I'm not just talking about healthcare. I'm talking about care in the community. When when you're trying to support families going through these experiences, it's not just about getting services for healthcare. It's about often galvanizing uh, meals on wheels, transportation, assisting with medications. And all of that is happening in a system that's not well connected. Our goal is to change that, to redesign the system so that health and social services are fully integrated and available to you when you need them to support you and your caregivers, your family members or friends. Uh, one of the things that we find in our work in Jewish Sacred Aging and, and the caregiving workshops that we do is that caregiving, other now that being a, a new life stage, which it, I think it is, um, a, a life stage that can ask last not only years, but sometimes into decades. Um, it is a multi-generational issue now. And, and how, how are you feeling, how are you finding that in your research through the New Cortland uh, Institute? Because, uh, you know, the media talks about the idea of a sandwich generation. Yeah. Um, we never use that phrase in our work, being in, from our area in Philly and South Jersey, we talk about the club sandwich generation. It's multi-generational. So what, how are you, are you finding that in the various communities that you're dealing with? Yes. Um, we are now working with grandchildren who are caregivers, um, who right. had started in their life course being cared for by their grandparents. Uh, we're uh, experiencing, as we're talking and focusing on older adults, uh, we're coming into households where those older adults are responsible also for caring for disabled children who are now young adults. So the complexity of issues that people are confronting as they're trying to deal with their own health problems are extraordinary. And where's the safety net? Where is it that we are there to support individuals, again, at very, uh, very vulnerable, arguably some of the most vulnerable times in their lives, when they have uh, their own acute problems and are many times the caregivers of their spouse with dementia, of, of children, as I've mentioned, with disability. So it, it's 
created in us such an awareness of both the needs and the gaps in services, the gaps in health and social support services, the gaps in community uh, to be able to really wrap ourselves around and support these individuals in the way that they deserve, we all deserve uh, to be cared for. You know, the, you, you, so you, you allude to something that we run into um, and talk about in a, an aspect of what we call the economics of aging. Um, but since you, you're multi-community based and you're doing these uh, pilots and research projects across, a, I imagine, a wide swath of socioeconomic uh, uh, communities, Let's be real. Talk to me about there's just the inequalities that exist and how, well, about the, access. And how, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So this is a really central part of our work. I mean, you mentioned financial challenges. These are magnified when you are um, individuals living and also confronting uh, what we describe as the social determinants of health, but living in poverty, living in really crowded housing situations. Um, how do you enable those individuals to have and achieve the same quality outcomes as individuals who have resources? But make no mistake, people with resources suffer a, a number of challenges right, as right, well. I know, yeah. Our interest is to have a solution that allows people, um, that addresses the gap for wherever they are. Um, and the whole issue of health equity is central to our work. It's central to our center's work. Um, not thinking just about um, uh, the challenges, the systemic and structural challenges that are making inequality uh, such a pervasive societal priority, but thinking about the kinds of solutions that enable people to feel they are getting as cared for as the individual who has a ton of resources available to them. We're speaking with Mary Naylor, the director of the New Cortland Center for Transitions and Health as part of the uh, University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing here in Philadelphia. And uh, I just want to remind you as we take this little break before we get back to Mary, I want to pick up on the on the nurses and the, and the linkage with the nursing school um, that if you would like to help support the work of these uh, sacred, uh, Jewish Sacred Aging Podcasts, the Seekers of Meaning Podcast, uh, we would appreciate that. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation, uh, just go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and click on the Donate button and just follow the prompts. We'd really appreciate that. And for those of you who perhaps would like to sponsor a whole series of these podcasts to get your name out across uh, North America and really around the world, uh, again, just drop me a note, rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com, and we'll follow up with you there. So thank you very much. Uh, Mary, uh, the nursing, the, the, the New Cortland Institute is part of the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Talk to me about why it's at the, at, at the School of Nursing as opposed to the medical school or let's just pick a number, Wharton. A number, right? Uh, well, when you think about, and you alluded to this, the complexity of challenges. So we were talking about the inequality that exists, but the, the nature of challenges that people confront. They, um, you know, if they're a patient or a caregiver, uh, they're experiencing financial challenges, they're 
often experiencing the social isolation associated with being a caregiver, the loneliness that can confront them. They're experiencing physical health challenges. And what makes nursing so beautifully suited to be able to address them is that, you know, that's who we are. We focus on the whole, not the parts, uh, but what makes Rabbi Address, Rabbi Address, what makes Mary Naylor, Mary Naylor, all of these parts. And we focus on the context in which we live. Uh, so many of our faculty in our center are focused on families and, um, and the caregivers uh, of the people. So our approach to solution has always been whole person whole, in, in the context of people, a family and communities in which they live. The other thing I would say is that, you know, our history has always been how to enable people to live high quality lives in their homes. Um, yes, most people think about nursing in hospitals, but that only happened um, after World War II when hospitals became the center. But our history has been how to allow people to live in communities, happy, quality, high quality lives um, that uh, uh, are, you know, really, um, really capitalize on what nurses bring, relationships, ena enabling people to build trust in us over time. And that's, and that's the kind of work that the center. So it's, it's absolutely perfect that it's in the School of Nursing, even though I want to highlight that the teams with whom we work include Wharton, colleagues from Wharton and Annenberg and the medical school and um, all of the other schools. But the centerpiece of this work is really capturing and highlighting what, what people often don't know, which is the unique capacity and contributions of nurses in a society where needs are much more aligned with what this profession offers. Are there other institutes like New Cortland and other uh, schools of nursing around the country? Or are you unique? We are unique. Really? really? <laughs> I mean, meaning unique in the focus on thinking about people. Um, over, you use the language life course. Um, right. Even though we focus on uh, adults with very complex health and social needs, we're thinking about them over the course, life course, um, and not, in, not focus just on what it is that we can do for them today, but how we can help position them with the uh, knowledge and skills and behaviors and resources that they need um, to think about living um, into the future, uh, maximizing on a quality of life into the future. And um, so to the best of our knowledge, we uh, understand we are the only uh, center that's focusing on transitions in health and in care. Um, and the, those two very much are connected. So talk to me about, uh, you, you have this uh, faculty and uh, research projects um, out of the school of nursing and as you said the medical school and other schools but uh, as a rabbi i gotta ask you uh, uh so where is the um where's the team that's dealing with faith and spirituality well or you know first of all the work that we do is is always in partnerships there is nothing that we've done to have impact on how practices get changed how care systems get changed, how policies get changed um, that aren't done in partnerships. Um, so work, our work includes partnerships with faith-based communities, for example. They are critical. They are 
um, groups that are central in enabling us to both access a community that trust in the people in their community. And part of what our ability to extend what we know through knowledge, through evidence into real world living situations is dependent on our partnerships with people like you, uh, people who have the faith of their communities, who can help the communities understand what it is that we could bring if we collaborated together. That being said, you know, the spiritual dimension of our work is something that we constantly confront. We are helping and supporting people during very challenging periods in their lives, often through the last couple of years of their life. And some of the work of our center faculty is in the last six months while they're in hospice mm-hmm. or um, earlier when they're receiving palliative care. And so we absolutely need partners um, who can guide us as team members in how best to support people, um, the spiritual dimension that people need. That's, um, I think there was a fe- famous um, rabbi who once said, caregiving is a sacred act. Well, helping people to and supporting them during the last couple of years of their life for us is a sacred act that we cannot do alone. We need the collaboration with faith-based leaders. We need to partner with many others who will contribute uh, to our care. In, in the work that the center does, um, do you, and, and specifically on caregivers, yeah. do you do anything in, in encouraging um, family members to develop a, a, a care plan? That, or is this after something happens and the caregivers are already in operation? Yeah. So again, some our work now has really, um, and I'm talking now about the centers, all of the faculty, because there are multiple faculty and students. We have doctoral and postdoc fellows and undergraduate master's students involved. But the work has really highlighted for us the critical role of anticipatory guidance and planning that you're describing. Okay. Um, because we know, you know, today I might not be a caregiver. Tomorrow, I might be a caregiver. Um, and beginning to think about how you position yourself, um, anticipate uh, what might change in your life course, um, and, and having that kind of planning. We do a, a huge amount of work in the area called advanced care planning, helping right, right. individuals think about, all right, this is how you're being receiving care today. Is this you know, three months from now, six months from now, likely things are going to change. How is it that you want to receive care? What are your goals? Everything we do is driven by individuals' goals, by family members' goals, and how it is that we can support them both today, but anticipate their needs going forward. You, you mentioned there's a lot of heavy research emphasis on in, in the center. Is there any political advocacy? Because the advanced care planning, I know there's a bill somewhere stuck in Washington that probably will never see the light of day given what's going on down there. But um, And the Build Back Better bill was killed and it had uh, money to support family unpaid care li- givers, which is a huge uh, aspect of the of the silent economy. Yeah. So do you get involved at all with the political advocacy in, in certain aspects of this? Yes, uh, we absolutely do. Because, the, you know, it's one thing to say 
this is how you should do it. Um, and even when you test it and it works, it's quite another to often sustain those changes absent policies at state and federal levels. So, you know, personally, I've been involved in policy right from the beginning. My work started uh, working with the U.S. Senate Committee on Aging and Finance, and I've sat on uh, MedPAC, the uh, Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, and others. And that's the way that our evidence informs um, solutions. Uh, it is essential that we are engaged um, in using the facts, using science, using truth, at least the best as we know it, to get the, the critically needed change to, to support families. And we have a long way to go. I mean, we have multiple opportunities. This Caregiving Now um, initiative that the center is running, it's a couple year effort to bring experts from policy, from faith-based communities, from uh, the world of finance, employers, to get an idea about what solutions should we be promoting both in our local communities, testing and advancing, uh, because these are the better ideas, but what are the policies that we should be uh, advocating for um, using our evidence as a basis to influence the direction of these policies? It is critical. I mean, when I say that our center um, and the Caregiving Now initiative is focused on impact, I mean it. This is we really want to affect today um, the lives of people who are counting on us. And, um, and so for us, this is our mission. It's very aligned with the mission of the work that you do. So uh, thank you. Um, you talk about science. And um, so I want to ask you before we start running out of time, something that it's, it's come up a lot now in the last couple of months. And uh, I was actually participating in a conference on this uh, a month ago at uh, Arizona State, and that is this growth of the growth of artificial intelligence, and specifically the use of uh, robotics um, to assist caregivers. And and I, I personally think this is this is well, a this is happening, yeah. but it's just the beginning. Of this explosion, and there's lots of issues, moral, ethical issues, financial issues. But have you begun to even peek at the implication of robotics as an assist to take care of people who may be, you know, living alone or whatever, or have children thousands of miles away? Um, so we are very much engaged. We have uh, really extraordinary colleagues in our center who are involved in the world of technology. Um, all forms of technology. Um, and the other group of people that we have well represented in the center are ethicists. So you can imagine how central it is that the design of new technologies, whether they are AI, robotics, sensors in people's homes, how absent a really guided by a really strong set of ethical principles about how to optimally use them, how to make sure people understand fully what the implications are, um, we could be, we could have serious consequences. So the thing that I really love is the capacity to think from all of these perspectives right at the outset as you're designing these interventions, what are potential adverse consequences if we don't do it very deliberately? So 
Um, I think the recent uh, conversation about the chat box and uh, the conversations, all of this tells us we've got to be paying attention right at the beginning, co-designing these solutions to make sure that we don't uh, mess up in the process and hurt people. That's not our goal. Our goal is exactly the opposite. And listen, you're going to be, uh, given the demographics of the United States uh, and the aging out of our gen- of the baby boom generation over the next two decades, the from what I'm hearing and from all the research I've done and articles uh, and books that I've looked at, the the lack of the of an adequate number of trained professionals to take care of us. Yeah. It, it really is going to fall a lot of this stuff on families and sometimes institutions, but families specifically. Yeah. So the work that you're doing is so it's 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 not important. It's hugely important. It's and very relevant. So this tomorrow, um, the Caregiving Now series, and so let me unabashedly promote this. Um, If you're interested at all, your audience um, in this series, we um, you can come to the New Cortland website at University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing to learn more about it. But we will have conversations about financial caregiving tomorrow um, in March uh, around how technology. Um, could, on the one hand, aid and support uh, caregivers. On the other hand, uh, could be, you know, we have to be very careful about its deliberate integration into a model that is human-centered, that this is, you know, that's how technology has to really aid. Um, So this series provides really that kind of expertise on all of these dimensions of caregiving uh, that we need to really know more about as we think about the best opportunities moving forward. So real fast, because um, the bulk of this series has already taken place and I think they're recorded. Yes, they are all recorded and there are YouTubes. You can uh, see them. You will see uh, you have access to blogs on this. So if you go to the New Courtland website at which is is N-E-W-C-O-U-R-T-L-A-N-D dot E-D-U. Uh, UPenn, excuse me, UPenn dot E-D-U. And I'll, how about I send it to you if you wouldn't mind sending it out to your audience and putting it on the chat. And then um, we, you'll have access to all of that, but we do have monthly series going forward as well. And so you are most welcome to join um, as, us in this conversation. Mary Naylor, the director of the New Cortland Center for Transitions and Health at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Mary, thank you very, very much. It's very exciting work, very exciting work. And as I said, um, eminently relevant and needed uh, given what's going on now and that's going to continue to go on for the next couple of decades. So I wish you uh, continued success and health and strength and peace. Um, And and thank you you. very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. To all of you, thank you very, very much for joining again, joining us again on this edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. And again, if you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help support our work, go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, click on the donate button and just uh, follow the prompts. And again, if you'd like to 
have some more information about becoming a sponsor of some of these podcasts, just email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. A big shout out to Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, who is our producer and especially our guru, expert, technical expert, genius, Steve Lubetkin, who produces all of this. Thank you again, all of you, for joining us. We appreciate your time. Till the next time that we greet you on The Seekers of Meaning, stay safe, stay healthy, everybody, and most of all, be kind to one another. Shalom. Shalom.